Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, please. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Ephesians. All wound up. You ready? Let's do it. Let's do this thing. Let's get in the Word. You like to get in the Word? Boy, that was, that was very... Wow, yeah. We need a little more. Do you like to get in the Word? There you go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, now he ascended, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he, might, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of, of knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of, it, of itself in love. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of the mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Father, I ask that you'll direct today and give us something that we can mull over, work on, and, and, and strive to achieve and attain, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I ask God that you'll anoint it and direct today what I do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He starts out by giving us a challenge of basically having a good resume when it comes to doing work for the kingdom of God. He said, make sure you're worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Now, I don't know if you noticed in this last week on the news, there was a story of a, I think it was, she was 30, 32-year-old dispatcher on the way to work. And she got hit head-on by a drunk driver and she was killed. You know who the drunk driver was? He was a pastor. A pastor of a church. I'm thinking he wasn't wa walking worthy of the vocation wherein he was called. Do you realize that there is a standard that must be met in order to carry the vocation of Jesus Christ? Well, what is that standard? That we have to be able to be really good talkers? 
No. We have to be really good in front of people? No. That we have to, what, be talented in a lot of these areas? No. You know what God's worried about? What's in here? What the heart of the man is? What the heart of the woman is? Is there a relationship? Is that, is that person... The worst thing that we can do is to shed uh, shame, put shame on the body of Christ, put shame on the, the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That shame is something that we see that, and in my field in law enforcement, that drives me crazy. As everybody's throwing stones at police officers and throwing accusations, I'll tell you who holds police officers in a higher standard than anyone else. That's other police officers. We can't stand it when somebody defiles our badge. That disgusts us when somebody defiles our badge. We realize the honor that... that is, is placed upon us when they pin that badge on our chest. There's a huge honor and a massive responsibility. Why shouldn't we feel that way about our position in the body of Christ? Why should we not take that same attitude when we look at the work that we do for God? Because all it takes is, is to do something that defiles that and it leaves a mark on the church and it leaves a mark on Christianity and some people will never ever ever get over it because not because of anything God's done not because of anything that's in the word of God that offends them but because of what we have done how many times have you talked to people and they always want to bring up how bad Christians are and I always say what do what Christians do have to do with God <laughs> We are not God's standard. We are supposed to carry the banner of Jesus Christ. But how can you judge God based on what Christians do? But you can say it until you're blue in the face. That's exactly what they do. And they always will. So when you or I let down on our, uh, our, our walk, when we don't walk worthy of the vocation that God has called us, it affects Christianity as a whole. I mentioned, I think, last week about that group, uh, uh, the, what is it called, the group um, against religious religion and society, or I can't think of their, their terminology. But that's what they do all the time, is talk about all the horrible things that Christians have done. You know who Christians are? They're, they're red-blooded, heart-beating humans. That's who they are. They fail. But the challenge is to realize that when God places His name upon us, when He puts His Spirit within us, we have a massive responsibility to carry that in dignity and carry that in holiness and in righteousness. That's a huge responsibility. So He tells us to walk worthy. How do you walk worthy? Well, one of the most important things is to realize how much of an honor it is. Lowliness of mind in humility. When, when we realize, and again I go back to, to, to when they pin that badge on me the first time and I realize I'm carrying the, the, the reputation, the, the, the character, the image of the state that I represent when I carry that, when I walk with it in that you know, with that badge. When I'm, when I'm carrying that badge, I am a representative of the state. Oh, well, thank God when you're off work, it's not that way, right? Oh, no. 
You know one of the first things they teach you in the academy? A police officer is never, ever off-duty. Christians, you are never, ever off-duty. It doesn't matter if you're inside your own home with the doors closed and the windows, the shades drawn and it's just you and your, your spouse and your kids. You are on duty as a child of God. You are on duty all the time and never stops. A police officer always represents that, that, that position, that role that he is in. And it ought to humble us to think, I am a child of Almighty God and I am carrying His name with me. What a humbling thing to carry. What a humbling, overwhelming thing to realize that we carry the name of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go. And so what's the purpose? The purpose is to bring unity to the body of Christ. One of the strongest things that we can do is be together, striving for unity. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but people are different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know. People are different. And sometimes it's extremely hard to get people who are so different to come together. But that's an amazing thing that God was able to do. I mean, he took a tax collector, he took a physician, he took fishermen, he took everything, pulled them together and made a, a force for the kingdom of God out of them. And then he said, this is the example, now you by the thousands and millions, you continue to do that in that same way, bringing unity to the body of Christ. Doesn't matter if you're rich, doesn't matter if you're poor, doesn't matter if you're male, doesn't matter if you're female, that's what Galatians 3.16 says, doesn't matter if you're bond, doesn't matter if you're free, you all are going to the same place. You are all together in this thing. This walk with God is not one group against another group. It is a group together, coming together. God empowers us to do that. He empowers us. Basically, He's telling us, do what you're supposed to do, act like you're supposed to act, and have the right goals. Right? Do, carry that vocation. Right. You know, fulfill that vocation with honor and dignity as you should. Do what you're supposed to do. Act like you're supposed to act. And then the goal is to bring unity to the body of Christ. There is only, and then he goes on and explains this, there is only one Christianity. You would never know that by looking around because there's a... <laughs> How many different denominations and groups and all these things. Look at this list that he gives though. He says... Uh, there is one body, one spirit, even into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One. These are the foundational things that he's going through. If it's a true Christian group, true Christian church, true Christian sect, they will have all those the same. We may have differences in practice and some theological differences here and there, but we all worship the same God. We all operate under the same faith. We all have the same grace. We all have the same hope. All that is the same. And when we look at that and realize that we can have our differences be dividers or we can have our differences bring us together. Now you can look at that spouse next to you and you can say, that person is exactly like me. 
but that would be a lie. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you built a bond, a strong relationship. You built uh, a, a, a marriage, even despite the differences. In fact, the differences is what makes it so interesting. You ever thought of what it would be like to be married to somebody exactly like you? No, thank you. <laughs> well, she would need your beard, for sure, yeah. She got, she'd have to have the same beard. Bro. <laughs> See, those differences don't necessarily mean that you have to be divided. Differences don't mean division. Differences just make our lives more interesting because you have strengths where they have weaknesses. You have interests that they don't have or they're, they're interested in something you know nothing about. It all brings it together. And then he go, does something to help us achieve all this. He gave gifts. He, now, this is probably the most hotly contested thing in all of Scripture. The contesting about gifts. You have the one side, and, and I listen to these guys that I have a lot of faith in. I love to listen to them. People like David Jeremiah, uh, um, uh, Charles Stanley, um, John... Um, what? Yes, I was spacing his name for some reason. John MacArthur, I love to listen to these guys. I enjoy listening to them a lot. When they get to this subject, it's kind of almost funny though because they thrash about so much. They don't know what to do with it. Because, and I was listening to MacArthur the other day and he was talking about spiritual gifts. And he went on saying that, that there was a reason why spiritual gifts were given, that the church was being established, the apostles were given these gifts to, to, to be able to empower and, and to take the message out, and they were supposed to, 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 to do the miracles and, and show these signed gifts and, and to, to bring credibility to it. And he, it sounded so good. And then he said, as soon as that generation passed away, the gifts went away because it was just for the apostles. And he explained all that into great detail, and it was very, very good. Only problem is there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Nothing. <laughs> that is absolutely, completely just out of the air. I think I'll do that. In fact, Scripture makes it absolutely clear that you and I are supposed to have spiritual gifts. It makes it clear that we're supposed to do that. Well, the gifts were just for the apostles. Who did Paul write the book of Corinthians to? The books of Corinthians. He wrote it to the church. He talked a lot about spiritual gifts in those books. He spoke, who did he write Ephesians to? The church. Did he write those books only to apostles? So if the gifts were only to the apostles, why in the world was he talking about them to the church? Who wasn't supposed to have them? <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, does it? And the scripture tells us that this gift is to you, your, you and to your children and to those that are far off and whosoever shall call upon the name of the, the Lord. Well, what are these spiritual gifts? They're not crazy show things that happen in front of the church. A lot of us have seen that. They're not some crazy sensational wacko thing that makes some people go, oh, those people are weird. <laughs> and we have seen that. Spiritual gifts are simply an empowering of the Holy Spirit where He comes upon us and gives us the ability to do that gifting, or I mean that calling that He called us to do. He gives us a spiritual ability. 
the, the apostles were able to do amazing, incredible things. We are not the apostles. We're not doing that same job that they were in that time. We are in America 2,000 years later. It's a different situation. I believe that God empowers people in certain ways. I'm trying to, trying to say this so it makes sense. What I'm trying to say is, I don't believe that everything always operates exactly the same down through time. God sees the time, knows the time, knows the conditions, and gifts people accordingly at that time. There was a time when, when prophecy was very, very strong. Right now, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of genuine prophecy going on. Does that mean that there's not prophets in the world? Yes, I believe there is. But there are so many fake ones, it's really hard to find a true one. And so this is where I think that God gives gifts, as it says, severally as he sees as, according to his will. There's a lot of gifting. Not all of them are dramatic. Not all of them are sensational. One of the most argued ones is tongues. But what about helps? God supernaturally empowers certain people to help people. They have the gift of helps. Nobody really looks for the gift of helps. You know, I want to do something really cool like prophesy or speak in tongues or, or you know, something like that. But helps is vitally important, the gift of help, the gift of governments. There's, there's so many different ones that, that God does. And I, and I don't know, it's just me. I really don't believe that God says, this is your gift and now this is your gift and you're stuck with that gift. I think God can say, I need this one to do this right now and I'm going to gift her to do that. Right now. And then maybe she'll be used in a different gift later on. That's kind of the way I see it. That's the way I believe it to be. I believe there's also some people that were gifted in something and they carry that their whole life. That's up to God. Not up to me. But gifting is vitally important. It talks about all these gifts. Of We have the gift of healings. We have prophets, uh, pastor-teachers. Uh, apostles, uh, uh, the gift of government, the gift of health. There's, there's many, many different ones. The gift of tongues has been one of the most argued ones. We also have situations where God supernaturally moved to protect His people. Like Paul when he reached into the, to get a piece of wood and was bit by a, a serpent. Uh, these kind of things happen. But what I'm trying to get at is how did the gifts operate? What you don't see in Scripture is somebody saying, Oh, I have the gift of healing. I'm going to have a crusade and heal everybody. The gift of casting out devils. Oh, I'm going to have a crusade and cast devils out all over the land. What did they do? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. They went about preaching the gospel message. And while they were preaching the gospel, when the situation arose... They operated in the gift as the Holy Spirit gave it to them at that time to do it. When they didn't go looking for a demoniac, but when they ran across one, they dealt with him. They didn't necessarily go looking for sick people. They ran into them all over the place and they healed them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened. Paul never went looking for a snake. Sane people don't go looking for snakes. He was going after wood. 
And he was on his way to do something for God. He was on his way to proclaim to the leadership that the Lord was real. He was in bondage. He was a, basically a captive at the time. And he goes to put some wood on the fire and he gets bit. And, but God had a purpose in him. God had a plan. God had called him. He wasn't going to leave him there to die from a snake. Because he wasn't done with him. God supernaturally protected him from that. Isn't that what Mark said? These signs shall follow the believers. Believers don't follow signs. Signs follow the believers. I mentioned this last week or week before. When you start your car, exhaust follows it. That's an automatic. Automatic happens 100% of the time. If your car's running, there's exhaust coming out of it. That's how the children of God are. When you are a child of God, the, the, those things follow you. The fruit of the Spirit follows you. The gifts of the Spirit follow you. These things are there automatically. But you do not create a car from the exhaust. You don't make a car run from the exhaust. Let's go back here to the exhaust pipe and figure out why this car won't run. You don't do it that way. But there are too many, especially in the Pentecostal charismatic side, that that's what they're trying to do. Is push the gifts, push the gifts, push the gifts, hoping to get something for God. That's not the way it works. And so God gives us an empowering. He puts that upon us. He lays that gifting there in and gives us the ability to do what we need to do. And He says, the purpose is for the perfecting of the saints. This is why He gives people gifts. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God gives us gifts. You say, well, I don't have any gifts. Yes, you do. God given you gifts. God has given you the ability. I believe that God supernaturally gives people the ability to do what they need to do at the time. When God says, this is what I've called you to do, God will gift you to do that calling. It isn't always automatic. Sometimes we have to work on it. You see that all through Scripture. I can tell you, I'm one that said, I don't want to get up there. I don't want to do that. Mm, No. It always seems to happen. No matter how much I try not to, it happens. But God gifts us, and we can resist, and we can run, and we can fight. But God calls us, and He gifts us to do. Why? Because He wants the perfecting or the maturing of the saints. Why didn't he say to go reach the lost? That's funny. God mentions these gifts. He mentions all this. And he says the reason is, and he doesn't say to reach the lost. Why? Because when you guys become fully mature, fully uh, perfected as scriptural reference of perfected or scriptural definition, when you become that, you will automatically reach out to the lost. The church, a healthy, strong church, reaches the lost. That's what it does. So when we we can look and say, well, I'm, I'm gifted to go out and reach the lost. And you may be. I've, I've known people, we've, we've had friends that could go into the Walmart parking lot and stand there and talk to people all day about the Lord. Most of us could not do that. That's not where our gifting is. Don't, don't kick sand on somebody because they don't have your gifting. Don't, don't look down on them because they don't have your gifting. I think of this fellow that we knew in Spokane that used to do that, and he said he was out there all day long, and he kept wondering why people kept looking at him so weird. Then he realized that his pants were unzipped. 
So, <laughs> so everybody is out there witnessing all day with his pants unzipped. <laughs> but some people can do that. Kathy, I always pick on her because she's so obvious. She can talk to a tree all day long. I don't care who it is. Kathy can talk to him. She has that gift. I'm not that way. Some of you are not that way. You, you, you just don't have that gifting. Everybody's gifting is different. But where Kathy can go talk to anybody, maybe you can sit and talk to a, a mother who's just lost a child and have the right words to say. Maybe you can talk to a, a husband who's, whose wife has left him. Or maybe you can deal with things that, that nobody else in this church can deal with the way that you do. Maybe you can work with the, the children in a way that, that is you know, not, not something that anyone else can do. Maybe you can do fundraisers for missionaries better than anyone else can do. It, I don't know what it is, but I do know that you have it. You have that gift. Whatever it is, you have a gifting. Maybe it's to teach the Word of God. Maybe it's to preach the Word of God. It can be any number of different things. And not one is better than the other because one is up in front and the other one's in the back. That doesn't make one better than the other. So is tongue valid for today? Uh-oh. That's one that gets them wound up, isn't it? Is tongues valid for today? I think so. This is one thing I know. Through all of Scripture, He tells us to seek the best gifts. He says to seek to prophesy. He tells us to look for these gifts. When He, when he talks about healing, He Jesus went out, he sent the 70 out, he sent the apostles out, they went out and they healed people, they, they prophesied, they did all these things. Tongues is kind of a different thing and I really, really, really wish that God would have defined what he meant by tongues. I really wish he would have done that. I'm not, that's one of the things I want to ask him when I get to heaven, why did you just use one word? Why could you not have told us what that means? Because my goodness, they argue about that all the time. This is one thing I know from Scripture. It's not mentioned a lot, and when it is mentioned, it's because the Corinthian church was going crazy, speaking in tongues all over the place. And, you know, and Paul was basically reeling them back, saying, calm down, settle down, don't be doing all those tongues all the time. He said, do not hinder, do not restrict free people from speaking in tongues. But he said, uh, this should not be so dominant all the time in the services. That's what he told the Corinthian church. But this is what is interesting about tongues. Again, a lot of these guys that I really, really like, they'll say tongues is simply a foreign language. That doesn't add up. First of all, Scripture talks about an unknown tongue. An unknown tongue. That means nobody knows what it is. Second of all, they spoke in tongues and somebody interpreted. Okay, so this is a foreign language. And Carrie all of a sudden jumps up and speaks in French. And Carla interprets it back in English. What would be the purpose of that? That doesn't even make sense. No, that doesn't even make sense. And then, I, like I was listening to MacArthur on this subject the other day, and he, he said, well, on the day of Pentecost, they all spoke in different languages. And I said, no, you missed it. On the day of Pentecost, Peter spoke, and everybody heard it in their own language. He didn't speak different languages. They heard it in their own specific language. Look again. That's what the book of Acts says. He spoke one language. Everybody heard it in their own specific language. So I don't even think the day of Pentecost is a really good indicator of speaking in tongues. 
There's a lot of things that get labeled onto it. This is more of a Bible study today, isn't it? And there's a lot of things that get labeled onto it, like a prayer language. There's no such thing in Scripture. Not even an inference of a prayer language in Scripture. Do you, is there anything wrong with somebody praying in tongues? I don't care if they pray in tongues. But I'm just saying that there's nothing like that in Scripture about a prayer language. Tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture. Nothing indicates that. Anywhere in all of the Bible. That would make tongues the only particular gift that, that has to be done by everybody. That doesn't even make sense. All gifts, including tongues, is for what? The edifying of the saints. Till we bring all people into the unity. I am not against it. I'm saying that there's a place for all the gifts, including tongues. I don't have a problem with it. Somebody wants to give a message in tongues interpretation, go for it. I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is when gifts get blown up into something that they're not. Tongues is kind of listed as the least of the gifts. There's kind of a theological argument that goes along there. But it's kind of considered the least of the gifts, but it gets pushed to the front many times. So what am I trying to say? We are to be a church of gifts, of spiritual gifts. We should have spiritual gifts in operation in our church. Whatever those gifts are, they should be in operation in the church. They will be, they will follow the saints. I think sometimes, especially if we come up in one of the more liturgical denominations, we're afraid of spiritual gifts. We should not be afraid of spiritual gifts. We should embrace the gifting that is in us and pray that God makes it better in us, makes us better at it. Scripture tells us to seek to prophesy. So I'm supposed to give some kind of prophetic message? That's not what I say. Prophesy is simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. If you go down on the street and you tell somebody about Jesus, you have just prophesied. Not all prophecy is a futuristic uh, event, uh, foreseeing a futuristic event. Prophesy is simply proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. Everybody can do that. You all look like you're asleep or thinking I'm an alien. How many are in group two? <laughs> Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. <laughs> I, I wanted to bring this out today because I want us to have those gifting. I don't want us to be afraid of gifting. If God has gifted you to help people, help people. Don't be afraid of it. Help people. If God has given you the gift of administration, do it. If God has given you the gift of healing, pray for people. What God has given up, given you, operate in that gifting. Not, and again, not that you have to be stuck on one particular gift all the time, because I believe that God can use anybody in any gift at any time. I believe that's very true. I want us to be a church. I strive for us to be a New Testament church. The New Testament church functioned in gifts. John MacArthur said, Never before until the Pentecostal movement has the church ever believed that the gifts were still in operation. <clears throat> Augustine talked about them. The Wesleys talked about them. Uh, there was two or three of the first century forefathers that spoke of the spiritual gifts in operation. And some of them didn't like it. Until they saw it in operation and then they did like it. Wesley's actually said that. The gifts of the Spirit have always been a part of the church. The church has closed the door to spiritual gifts. Now you're definitely looking at me like I'm an alien. That's all right. No, it's sinking in. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> it might anyhow. 
<laughs> that deer in the headlights look means it's sinking in. I got it. <laughs> I, I say this because, just like it's, she said, I want it to sink in. I want us to be thinking about this. I want us to be praying about this. I want us as a church to say, God, what is my role? What is my calling? What is my gifting? What have you called me to do? God, help me to develop in that calling. Help that gift, those gifts to be in operation in my life. Let those gifts be in operation in the church. I don't think it has to be sensational and crazy. I lived with that for years and it drove me nuts. I can't stand when it turns into some kind of a circus sideshow in the name of gifts. I don't want that. I want people who love God, who operate in the gift that God has given them. Does that make sense? Would you stand with me and pray? Pray that God directs you to your calling and that gifts you for that calling. Father, in the name of Jesus, I hold up everybody in this place to you. Lord, you know. You know what you have called each one of us to do. Each one of us has a different calling. Some may have the same calling, God, but each one of us has our own specific calling. And I pray for each one, Lord, whatever that gifting is, whether it be benevolence, whether it be just a a prophetic message, the word of wisdom that somebody just knows the right thing to say at the right time, the word of knowledge where, God, you reveal things to somebody that they had no other way of knowing. Lord, whatever that gift is, I pray, God, that the, the people of this body will embrace their particular gift, seek that gift, and go forward in that gifting. Lord, I pray for them right now in Jesus' name. I ask God that you will make it to where the gifts of the Spirit are in operation in this body of believers, Father, so that we can be more effective. When you build us up into maturity, we will be ready to go out with the message of Jesus Christ and reach the lost. I want us to be in that position, Lord. I want us to be that way, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.